to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about working with professionals to give them the tools to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today we're going to have a great time because we have one of my repeat guests on. I love it when my guests have so much knowledge to impart that we actually need to talk with them more than once. And in this case, this person has written a brand new book just out not too long ago. And so we really want to talk about it because I think it is something that every business owner, yes, every business owner needs to read because it's about sales. You know, those things that we absolutely hate to do unless you're one of those people who has a passion for it. But most of us don't like it, which is why I wanted to have my guest on today. So please join me in welcoming David Fisher back to our program today. Hello, hello. You know, and David, it is one of those things where people just cringe at, you know, the the thought of having to sell. But you have to. I mean, you you cannot be in business if you're not selling or somebody in your organization um, because you have a product, you have people who have to buy it, and therefore there is a selling process that's in there. Um, you know, it would be nice if we just posted it about it on Facebook and then never had to deal with it again, but no, we have to sell. So you've got a great new book out, which we are going to talk about. It's called Hyper Connected Selling. Winning More Business by Leveraging Digital Influence and Creating Human Connection. And it really is a fabulous book. But before we jump in, let me tell folks just a little bit more about you. For those who don't remember, because you were on back in January. (laughs) Okay, so David J.P. Fisher lives in Evanston, Illinois, next to a beautiful cemetery, which acts as a reminder every morning not to take life for granted and to be on the lookout for zombies. He is an entrepreneur, coach, salesman, writer, mediator, marketer, musician, podcaster, son, friend, brother, slam poet, comedian, salsa dancer, hmm, lover of life, teller of bad jokes, yoga enthusiast, and an average cook as long as it's pancakes, hummus, or recent edition pozzoli soup. Known as D-Fish to everyone except his mom and his wife, and I keep calling him David. I just can't call you (laughs) D-Fish. He is sought after as a speaker, author, and business coach. His first full-length book, which is what we talked about in January, is called Networking in the 21st Century, Why Your Network Sucks and What to Do About It, and its companion book series have all been bestsellers. His passion for growth and development has allowed him to influence thousands of others during his professional career. As president of Rockstar Consulting, he helps individuals become rock stars both online and offline by building their networking, sales, and entrepreneurial skills. Whew. Wow. Welcome back, David. See, oh. I just can't do it. I can't call you D-Fish. <laughs> <laughs> hey, as long as you have a smile on your face, you can call me anything you want. This is true, and, and you know, not Bob. I mean, we won't call you Bob. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, you know, this is a fabulous book, and as I was reading it, I was thinking, wow, Um, because I am one of those people that does not like sales. I had a horrible experience doing cold calling for a hotel that I wouldn't stay in. (laughs) Oh, jeez. So, yeah, you know, and, and, but, you know, let's, let's kind of stop and and, uh, go back for a second and talk about this concept of hyper-connected. 
because that is the the premise of of everything that you're talking about. So what is hyperconnectivity? Well, hyperconnectivity is actually the world we live in. I, I think that we don't have to go very far to find a definition because the world we live in is hyperconnected. Mm-hmm. It's it's the fact that people and ideas and information are now available and accessible in ways that they've never been before in human history. And so I think it's really created a huge shift, which we're going through, right, in real time. I, uh, this is an evolution right. that I think we'll look back on and go, holy cow, things really did change a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now we're just trying to just trying to hold on mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and navigate this changing landscape. Well, and we are just connected far more, obviously, than we were even 10 years ago. You know, you look at how many Twitter followers people has, how many connections they have on LinkedIn, you know, friends on Facebook, all these various things. And then you add in actual in-person type of, of connections. And it's it's just mind-boggling because they're, you know, gone are the days when you had kind of your little network of, you know, 100 people. Now it truly is thousands of people. Absolutely. I, there was a, a meme I saw once uh, a few months ago that really made me laugh. I think it was on Facebook, which was ironic. But the, the meme asked, what did we do in the evenings before Facebook? Right. <laughs> and, and, you, and uh, you know, sometimes I'll even just watch my wife just sit there, you know, for 10 or 15 minutes connecting with all of her friends, right? Looking at pictures, you know, making comments about somebody's, you know, ch- uh, photo they posted about mm-hmm. of their child. And it's just something we did not have, as you said, just 10 years ago. Right. And I think that it's really changing how we engage. And I think there's pluses and minuses. I think it's very easy for us to uh, create a narrative where it's either the world is ending or, wow, the future is going to be amazing. I think it's kind of good and bad. But right. as professionals, we have to learn how to take advantage of these opportunities for our business, because if we don't, we'll become irrelevant very quickly. Right. You know, and, and it is, you know, it's, it's funny because there are so many people that, oh my gosh, the sky is falling or, hey, this is the greatest thing in the world. You know, because in, in so many ways, you know, we've, we've reconnected with high school classmates, former coworkers and bosses, you know, all of these things. But then we're also inundated with so much information. Um, I saw a stat the other day said something along the lines of we now see over 20,000 pieces of advertising a day and that that actually seems extreme to me I mean I knew it was a lot but 20,000 is like holy cow but you know it what it means is as a business owner it's so difficult to cut through that clutter and capture somebody's attention Exactly. And look, put it this way, even if that 20,000 number is, is extreme or high or inaccurate, let's say it's only 10% of that. Right. 2, That's 2,000. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. And we do live in an age where um, information, which used to be uh, so valuable, has really become a commodity. I mean, one of the things that I, I'm talking about a lot in the book is just this idea that the the customer these days, the prospective customer has so much 
access information that they've never had before, right. that they can actually do a lot of the, you know, the, the, the journey, the buyer's journey mm-hmm. happens before a salesperson ever engages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the idea of cold calling, like you mentioned before, which I think for many of us is our image of the, the negative of the sales process. Um, cold calling doesn't work anymore because it's not like we're sitting there waiting for somebody to give us some information we don't have. Right. right. Nobody's going to want, right. Nobody's going to call me up and like blow my mind with some, some new software package I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to sell that way doesn't work anymore. Instead, what we have to do is realize, Hey, all this information is out there. Information is a commodity. And so when we are selling, whether we're a salesperson or whether we're a business owner, right, who's trying to sell our products, our services, Mm -hmm. you know, how are we going to provide value for people on their own buying journey? How do we, how do we, you know, reshape our interaction with them to, to continue to move the the sales process forward, right? And that's, and that's changing. It's a lot different. Mm -hmm. Well, and I love in the book how you talk about how we do process information now, because you know, we do a lot of research on our own, whether it's that we're, you know, looking at someone's website, we're looking at reviews, we ask our friends online, you know, all these various things. So we have at least a basic idea in a lot of cases before we ever even enter the store or actually go to a website to to make that purchase. But sometimes and many times, in fact, we've gotten too much information. And I think then um, it's, it's just this whole information overload and in mm-hmm. your book, you actually talk about the studies where when we get too much information, we really do just shut down, you know, and, and then it's, I'm just not going to buy anything. Exactly. We have a, a mistaken thought that the more information I have, the better the decision I will make. Mm-hmm. And it just, it doesn't work that way. There's, there's a ton of research, um, you know, one that's very common or a researcher that's very common. Her name is uh, Sheena Iyengar. She's often quoted by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, And she's done a bunch of work in this where the more choices you give somebody, the more information you give people that you can actually track that it takes them longer to make decisions. Mm -hmm. The likelihood that they'll make no decision uh, goes up. Right. And the, you know, it's just, it's not good. One of the more famous ones is the, uh, the jam experiment mm-hmm. where, you know, they, uh, offered, uh, at a upscale food store, they had a display with free jam, just, you know, samples. One had 24 samples, one had six. Right. And the, you usually go, Oh, 24 samples, tons of information. I can make just the perfect choice. Only 3% of the people actually bought something from that. Mm-hmm. The one where there's only six choices, almost 30% of the people bought because they right. could understand the process. It made more sense. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm like that in a restaurant. You know, you give me too many choices <laughs> and I'm like, eh! you know, and, and there's, you know, some restaurant chains around here. And, you know, certainly I've seen them in, in other places where they have the big menus that are actually, so oh. big, they're spiral bound. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and not only are these all the, they're, they're just the um, items, Lots of pictures. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I want that. Oh, I want that. Oh, I want that. Oh, I want that. And then pretty soon I end up ordering like a grilled cheese. Um, You know, because they did. They overwhelmed me with so many fabulous choices that my brain just couldn't process it. And it defaulted to the least common denominator. 
Well, that's exactly right. I, I'm laughing because I'm just thinking the worst thing you can do, in my opinion, is be hungry mm-hmm. and go to like that Greek family restaurant oh, where they're like, they'll serve you anything, any time of day. Mm-hmm. And you're like, do I want, it's dinner time, but you're like, do I want pancakes? Do I want ribs? Do I want, you know, yes. chicken? I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what I think is happening is that we are in the midst of a shift where selling used to be about providing that information because as a salesperson, and, and by the way, I think all of us sell, whether we like to admit it or not, whether mm-hmm. we think we like sales. I've been working with entrepreneurs and business owners for years and years and years. And one of the things I often have to help them understand is that they are selling. Mm-hmm. Until until they get a client, they can't do their amazing work. Mm-hmm. But I think it used to be that we were giving that information to our prospects, and that was the value that we provided. I think what's happening now is that uh, salespeople are becoming, or at least the good ones, are becoming what I call a sales Sherpa. They're becoming guides for their prospects along that person's buying journey, Mm -hmm. right? Something you you mentioned earlier, the studies um, where they're also showing that Anywhere from 50 to 75% of the buyer's journey happens before a salesperson is ever engaged with, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because the information is available. So what we have to be able to do as a sales professional or any sort of influencer is go in understanding that that prospect has a bunch of information. They've got a, a lot of data, but they don't know how to use it. And our job is to become that guide, to become the sales Sherpa, as I said, Mm -hmm. to move them along their journey to help them make the the best decision, the most effective and efficient decision, and, and actually sometimes just move them past that state of paralysis. Right. Well, and I love the term sales Sherpa because it really is about guiding them through the process. And sometimes it's translating for them too, you know, because we, we come in and we've got our reams of paper, you know, and, and, but we don't even know what it means. You right, know, but it looked good, and it's got lots of acronyms, and you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> you know and I remember you know, years ago, I went into a, a phone, you know, a Verizon store with my mom. She needed a new phone, and you know, at that point, she would have been in her seventies, and you know, the salesperson was he was going to sell her the latest and the greatest and the this and the that and the blah, 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 you know, and I mean, it he was doing his job. I mean, that was exactly what he should be doing, but. You know, I, I looked at him and of course my mom had tuned out. I mean, there was, she, you know, this was, she didn't know. And I told him, I said, she needs to make phone calls and that's it. (laughs) And he still was, well, this will do this and this will do this. And and then I looked at him and I said, sweetie, pretend this is your mother. What phone would you sell her? And he went, oh, and he walked right over to the phone that had the least features that, you know, was the easiest for someone to use. And I thought, you know, we could have walked out, but I kept trying. Um, right. You know, and, and he didn't pick up on the fact that the person he was trying to sell to had wandered off. Um, you know, and, and I think that's <laughs> one of the things that, that people need to keep in mind is if you're talking to somebody and they get the deer in headlights look or they're staring over your shoulder or whatever, you've lost them. You're right on the money. In fact, I would challenge you. And you, you just said, well, he was doing his job. I don't think he was. Right. And I and I think that as we move forward, um, there's going to be less and less uh, room for the kind of person who is just going to 
kind of follow a routine, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what they were taught in sales training, for right. example. Be, and, and I think a part of that is because a lot of those roles are going to become taken over by technology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, something that uh, kind of surprised me as I, I released the book and I've started talking more and more about it. Um, I'm really realizing that a lot of why I'm so passionate about this topic is because it's about reframing how we work, right? Mm-hmm. And maintaining our relevance. We always, I think, or at least in the recent past, have considered technology and automation to be a problem for people in, you know, more blue collar or manufacturing roles. Right. Where, well, hey, you know, the white collar world is now under assault mm-hmm. <laughs> by mm-hmm. technology. Right. And, and if it can be done better and easier by an app, by a website, by a robo advisor, it mm-hmm. will be. But what are the things that human beings are best at? Well, we are good when we're allowed to be good at paying attention to the person across from us and understanding the nuance of communication and seeing when their eyes glaze over, mm-hmm, right. you know, and going, hey, I should maybe help them explain, you know, I should explain this a different way, mm-hmm. right? Or help them, you know, they need some other information to help them. And and I, I really want to see us in the sales world, right? Again, influencing to, to really start to, um, focus on our uniquely human abilities because that's really where I think you can become that great sales Sherpa, right? It's not just because you can follow the map, but because you know how to go, Oh wait, there is an avalanche. So we have to, to go a totally different way. We have to think on the fly and find some different opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I th- that's, that's kind of where I think, think our opportunities are really going to lie as we go into the next decade or two. Right. You know, and it is about reading them and reading, you know, what's going on with them. You know, are they even interested? Maybe that was just, you know, a basic fact finding that they were doing. Or, you know, I always love the people who are either talk down to me or talk <laughs> over me. Yep. You know, and, and so they either assume I know what the heck they're talking about and I don't want to admit they don't. Right. Or it's, well, little lady. I'm like, oh, no, no, danger, danger. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting. You uh, you talked about having the reams of information. Uh, one of the examples I use in the book, because I, I kind of look at this from the customer's point of view as well, because all of us, even if we can't necessarily imagine how this is changing from a seller's point of view, we can from a buyer's point of view, because we're all buyers right. of something. And so an example I use is buying a home. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, you can get so much information um, about homes online, right? It's almost right. ridiculous how much mm-hmm. you can get. But it doesn't necessarily mean anything to you. And I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to just go on, you know, whatever real estate site is for my town and just pick a house I've never seen based on what I saw there and then buy it. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's a hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh right. That's you know where you see, for example, a skillful real estate agent come in and go, okay, you've got all of this information. Let me actually help you translate it into something usable right. <laughs> so right. you can feel comfortable with your decision. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because there will be some who will, will buy that way, um, but it's, it's very small. Sure. I'm always baffled by the commercials for, I believe it's Carvana. <laughs> where they buy the car <laughs> online. I just and saw that, yeah. I'm like, 
really? Now, I am not a tire kicker. You know, I, I decide, okay, I want a car. I'm going to go in. I'm going to make an offer. That's it. If they haggle with me, if they come back with, I always tell them, if you come back with little happy faces written on your piece of paper, I'm leaving. Um, you know, and, and but I, I still want to see the car. I want to sit in it. You know, what's it, what's it like in the back seat? Is there leg room? Um, you know, all these various things. And to just buy a car online. Now, yes, there's like a week return policy or something like that. But I mean, that I, I and of course, their sales pitches. This is for very busy people. I don't know anybody who's that busy. I mean, that just, that really does baffle me. I saw that same commercial and I, I, I am with you. I was like, Really? Really? You're going to spend $30,000, $40,000 on something that somebody just drops off? Right. Uh, and you're right. There's some people who might be so super busy that they need that service. Mm-hmm. I would almost question what you're doing because I know lots of really successful, really busy people, and they could still find time to go buy a car. Right. Right. right? Now, you know, what we may not be seeing is the fact that people did a ton of research. And, you know, and, and they did go into an actual dealership or rode in a friend's car or whatever. And so they did all of that up front. And then they decided, I want the blue four-door Ford Escort. And then they're going to go to Carvana because they don't want to deal with salespeople. I mean, that right. might be, but, but yeah, it's like, you know, and, but what that goes to show is you have to figure out how people want to buy from you. Exactly. I think one of the things that a site like Carvana is banking on is we are seeing more and more comfort from buyers with um, buying things online or getting their information, making their own decisions. I, I think it makes sense that they've created the service. I think it's a good gamble, right? But I think what we're also going to see, and it's, it's something that I actually write about in the book, is that there's going to be a bit of a, not a backlash against this, but there's still going to be a desire as you said, to, to sit in the, pro, uh, in the product, in this case, a car, try it mm-hmm. out. But there's still going to be this level of trust that we want to have right. with the people that we work with, the, the organizations that we buy from. And in places where that that trust is really important, I don't think you're going to be able to outsource it. Like I'll right. buy, I'll buy, you know, a uh, hundred dollar widget from Amazon mm-hmm. because, you know, whatever, I, it, it's not a huge risk. You know, you can return it, you know, all sorts of things. Right. But then now we're talking about a a car for $30,000, you know, one that I might be driving in safety, security, you know, all these little things that are going to be so important. That's where I really think for me as a buyer, that trust would be important, having Mm -hmm. a person that I talk to. And again, I think we're seeing a reshaping of that. But what I contend is that that human element isn't going to go away anytime right. soon. We've got a lot, a lot, a lot of years of human beings developing the ability to engage with each other. We're social creatures. We need that. We want that. We crave that. We're not going to become pod people anytime soon. Right. Well, and it comes back to something that you talked about in your first, first book also is about building those relationships with people. You know, and, and in the hyper-connected world, it is more difficult because, you know, like we said, there's just so much going on and we just see the periphery a lot of times. And, and you know, so we might click like on somebody's post as opposed to actually responding and saying, oh, hey, that's cool. Congratulations on becoming a grandfather, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, you know, all these various things. And, and it's the, the people who take the time to develop and nurture those relationships that really are successful. 
I think selling, I think selling has always been somewhat relational. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to continue to become more and more relational, especially as the transactional part of the business, something we were talking about ju- just a few minutes ago, exits sales, mm-hmm. right? Because right. I, I don't think we're going to see the sales role or the need to sell, you know, completely disappear, mm-hmm. but we are going to kind of outsource some of the, the tasks that can be routine. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think it's, it's really all about relation. And in fact, one of the things I really like about technology is it, right. There's good and bad. The thing that is bad about it is it can lend itself to a lot of superficiality, mm-hmm. as you said. But the good thing is if it's used strategically and constructively, what a way of creating amazing, more amazing relationships. Right. Right. I mean, you and I uh, will use us as an example. We first connected when I came on your show. Mm-hmm. We, we don't hang out every week. Right. But We're a little far away. Yeah, exactly. A little bit of a, a little bit of a, a commute. But we've be through things like LinkedIn or Twitter. I've seen things you've posted and vice versa. We, we've mm-hmm. had some interaction. So now when we have this conversation, it's it's richer and more fuller than if I had had no contact with you for six months. Right. And you know, that's where it's, I think, really powerful. Right. And, you know, when we're having to decide or make a referral or something like that, we do tend to go with the people. And we, you know, we always talk about this, the no like trust thing. Yep. So say somebody came to me and said, hey, we're looking for a great speaker about sales. Well, I know one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and. And of course, I actually know more than that. But, you know, if if you just go to say my LinkedIn and and all those various things, but the person that I interact with more is probably the person who I'm going to refer to, and that would be you. So you know, that's kind of awesome. the way that comes in. Yay! Um, is you know that that it and and it's and we're not talking about you know conversing every single day and you know all these various things. Because we are busy people. Now, sometimes right. you will develop a little bit more deeper uh, connections with people and, and things like that. But it's staying kind of top of mind, you know, all those various things. And I love in your book, you talk about the gate crashers. Um, and in so many ways, a lot of things with social media has allowed us to sidestep those gates. You know, we get to know somebody on LinkedIn or on Facebook and they take our call. Or we we know how to, you know, we don't even deal with their assistant or email or whatever. We have different ways to reach them to get to them in a much better way. Right. I uh, And I came up in the sales world, in the direct sales world. So I get the old school models of knocking on doors and cold calling and just, uh, and, and I call that the, the gate crasher model. Because what you're mm-hmm. doing is you're, you know, trying to get through in any way, shape or form to talk to that prospect get them to give you some time and attention and, and eventually hopefully sell them. Right. And, and that just, it doesn't work anymore. Like mm-hmm. just period. I, I actually go through some research in the book where they have actually done some pretty solid research that shows, I think uh, there was one great one that with real estate offices, uh, it, it took 209 phone calls to get an appointment. Right. <laughs> and so it does work. It's just super inefficient. Mm-hmm. But now, as you said, with things like social media and you know LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever it might be, we, we can start cultivating a network um, that has not only our prospects, but you know existing clients and customers and peers and colleagues, uh, competitors, influencers. And if we spend time and energy putting our kind of our message out there, our brand out there, when it's time for that 
prospect to reach out and find in this case, you know, if somebody called you a sales speaker, you know, we have to assume they're more than halfway through their process already. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, well, okay, now I've gotten to the point where I've got enough information or I know I need to actually get some help. Who's a person who can help me? Well, gosh, this person who I see on LinkedIn all the time talking about this topic, that's a person I'm going to reach out to. So yeah, there's not this idea of like, I got to beat down the, the gates. I'm already inside the, the castle. <laughs> right, right. They recognize you. They're going to respond to your email, take your call, do whatever. That's exactly right. And th- there's actually um, some really interesting science behind this. We, we often talk about, you know, being top of mind. There's uh, something called the recency heuristic. And uh, a heuristic is just a, a mental shortcut that our brains use mm-hmm. um, to process information. And the recency heuristic means that if it's easy for us to think of it, if it's easy for us to remember it, we give it more credence. Ah. And so, you know, just to what you said, you know, many sales speakers, but if somebody called you and asked you for a referral that you might think of me because I keep popping up all the time. So your brain, like subconsciously, even if I wasn't the best sales speaker, which I'm pretty good, so you're you're okay referring me. Yeah, we know. (laughs) But even if I wasn't, your brain doesn't go through, wait, who's the best one? It just goes, Mm -hmm. who can I think of right now? Deep right. fish. Okay, but I'm gonna call him David. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it is about staying top of mind, but doing it in a way that isn't the the, the used car salesman type of, of thing. You know, and, and it's funny, you know, we you know, used car salesman, snake oil salesman, whatever the heck we want to call them. So it's about, you know, being that source of information without being in your face and hitting people over the head with it. Right. And you can't even be in your face anymore or being uh, you can't be a snake oil salesman because part and parcel of this is that transparency online means that if if you are dishonest, if you are super aggressive, if you are being a pain in the butt to your prospects and clients, they're going to tell everybody. Right. You know, and so the 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 other thing that this digital connection does is it requires us to be our best self. Uh, a good friend of mine, Jill Raleigh says that, you know, all, all social media does is, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it basically exacerbates your good and your bad, Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So if, if you're, if you do a good job, you're, everybody's going to know if you do a bad job, everybody's going to know. Right. You know, and, and it's, it's interesting because we do judge people by what we're seeing them post. Um, and I, I was looking through your website and I love this blog post that you did that is the simple social media mistake that kills a salesperson's credibility. And it's the people who brag. Yep. You know, and, and, and I love that because, of course, we probably all have people in our networks that are the braggers. The, hey, look at me and look what I have done type of thing. You know, and, and I mean, they're the people, it's funny, we were talking offline about this. They're the people that have a Mercedes, a BMW, not a car. They have, you know, they, they have to call it by its status symbol name. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, you're not going to go around and say, well, I have a Ford. <laughs> right, know? right, right. And, you know, and, but they hey, want Hey, nothing wrong know. with a Ford, right? I know, it's but you're going to say car. You know, you're yeah. probably not going to say Ford. Now, you might say Prius, but again, you know, some of this is this whole status symbol thing. Yep. And, you know, or the, the people who are posting about the fabulous trips that they're taking, um, you know, and, and it's funny because, I mean, some of the people who 
were were rewarded probably more than anybody else you know in in history might have been like Mary Kay people because they got the little bumblebee pins those were always very cute um and their pink cars and they've really done away with those i mean it's really surprising now if you see that and of course it was something cool that they wanted and yes they earned it they worked very hard to get it but you know, I think sometimes people looked at that and went, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, and, you know, I, I love this concept. One of the things you talk about in here is, you know, you're thinking, you know, you're as you're posting, you're thinking that you're saying, you know, look how successful I am. Aren't you glad that the salesperson you deal with, me, is super successful? That means I do good things for my clients. Okay, you know, I can see why you're thinking that. But then, of course, they look at that and go, Wow. Does this mean that you gouged me on the last deal just so that you could win that trip? <laughs> you know, and, and I think that is something that people need to think about is the, you know, if you're bragging so much, does that, you know, are people getting the impression that you're overcharging or, you know, that, that you really do only care about yourself, you know, and, and so you just have to, you can still brag about it, but there's different ways to do it. That's exactly right. And it's, as, as we were saying, there's so much more transparency because of this this digital world. And so you really have to think not about what you're trying to say, but what is the other person hearing, mm-hmm. right? And and there's there's nothing wrong with a salesperson winning a sales trip and posting uh, you know, a picture from that resort or from the right. beach or whatever is in and, and and it they're, good for them. And exactly. And, and and I know as a salesperson that there's a lot of work that went into that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the, again, they might have clients where their, 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 their buyer doesn't get to go on a trip just for doing their job. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you have right. a little bit of jealousy there. And we do have this brand. And I think something that's important to think about among uh, this conversation is that you are being viewed and judged based on what you put out there whether you like it or not. Right. Right. So there is, I think, value for, for us to really consider and sometimes spend some time strategically considering what is my brand? How do people view me? How do I want to influence them? Um, you know, for example, uh, you know, I get a chance to go out and do speaking, uh, you know, I get to go to some really great places all over the country, and, and I've, I've traveled internationally. I've gone to some great resorts in Mexico, to Ireland, all these great things. And I do want to let people see that, so I'll share, um, you know, photos of me being there, for example, or some of the, the teams that I've worked with. But I always want to make sure I'm putting in the context of, hey, this is cool because I get an opportunity to help people, not right. not look not bragging. Look at how awesome I am. And and there's mm-hmm. people in my industry that do that. You know, one of the things I always try to do is also balance it. So I've actually, uh, I remember going to a, a really nice resort to do a speaking gig. I actually put a uh, picture uh, of the <laughs> of the airplane seat that I was uh, sitting in at six uh, a at six a.m. Yeah, mind you, not and, as glamorous as people think. And it was like, yeah, let's balance this. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I was in Mexico um, putting some some work into my book. Actually, mm-hmm. I had a beautiful view as my you know quote unquote work area for the day. But uh, I also had a picture of my desk at home in Chicago in the gray, and I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? It's there's a balance here, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we we definitely know when people are trying to construct a false brand, right? Right. We can smell the, smell the, um, inauthenticity. Mm -hmm. 
So I do think it's really important that we are authentic. Um, and, and sharing our successes is an important part of that. But but doing it in in a humble way, not a bragging way, mm-hmm. and and also I think what's really big is also saying, hey, I was successful. I won this this sales trip. Thank you to all of my clients who got me yes. there, right? Mm-hmm. Because really, without you, I'd be nothing. Mm-hmm. Something like that can go a long way to to not only getting people to appreciate your success, but actually feel like they're involved and want to help you to even more success in the future. Because if you have a good relationship with them that is not just, hey, buy this product from me, they will be happy for you and hopefully they will want to help you. Exactly. Exactly. They, they, you want the, if, if, you, if you are selling relationally and if you are doing everything you can to help your prospects and clients solve their challenges, human reciprocity means they're going to want to help you too. Mm-hmm. But you have to help them first, right? It's 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 not like it's it'd be like standing in front of a fireplace, going, "Hey, if you give me some heat, I'm going to give you some wood." Right. You got to put. Yeah. <laughs> you got to reach out first. You got to put mm-hmm. the effort in first, and then you'll get back the uh, the great stuff in return. Right. Well, now speaking of the effort, one of the things that you talk about in your book is the old sales process was very linear. Somebody yeah. decided, "I want product A. I go into store B and I buy it." And take it home. Yep. You know, and, 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 you know, yeah, there was a little research in there. They had to decide what store they wanted to go to, all that stuff. But now it's, well, you call it the sales matrix. I call it this tangled web of confusion. Um, <laughs> it's about and, right. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's in good ways and bad ways. Part of it comes back to what we were saying. You get so much information, you know, all these various things. But in, in many cases, it's that people just, they take their sweet time to buy something and they do want to research it and they want to talk to their friends. And, you know, so it's not just, okay, I should go buy a Zenith television because, which, you know, that's showing my age. Um, You know, I want to buy a Zenith television because Zenith has the best TVs in the world. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, now they research and research and research and research and talk to their friends and do this and do this and do this. And it's, so it's, it's the sales matrix as opposed to something that is linear. Right. And I think that an even worse transgressor of this is kind of the mentality that a lot of us had in sales, which definitely like in the 80s and 90s, this reigned supreme. This idea that I'm going to start working with a prospect and I'm going to be in control of the conversation and we're going to go through step one, step two, step three, right. step four, and then close. Like, uh-huh. I, I mean, I've got a shelf full of sales books um, that all have some form of the the seven step sales process or the fourteen right. step sales mm-hmm. process, and the biggest thing, as you said, is just to realize that these days you don't know how wh- how much information that prospective customer has, what information they have. They're getting influence and information from all of these different sources. They can always reach in their pocket go to their smartphone and either Google something or put a social media post up or do whatever research they want. And it does make it, yeah, it's a tangled web of, mm-hmm. of stuff. It's a mess. But I think what's really important is that, and again, I call it a sales matrix, that we accept that that's the world we're living in. And right. instead of trying to oversimplifying it, the process, just accept that we have to work in the buyer's journey and find a way to plug in versus saying, no, 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 ignore all that stuff. Cause this is, we're, we're on step one, building rapport. And then I'm going to build value. And then I'm going to, you know, find your mm-hmm, pain right. points. You know, it, 
it just that doesn't uh, really work anymore. I think there is always a problem when we confuse the map for the territory, mm-hmm. right? And the territory is a, a rich 3D complex environment that we have to to really embrace to find success. Mm-hmm. Well, and it comes back to being that sales Sherpa and figuring out, you know, where are they in the process? What information do they still need? You know, what misinformation might they have got? You know, all these various things. And, and again, you know, what's what, where are they in that buying process? You know, they might be gathering information that they really don't, you know, they're going to buy something next year. Who knows? Um, you know, and, and, but, but being that kind of guide and that helpful person so that then when they decide to pull the trigger, you can go, hello. And, you know, and, and then they're, they're happy to work with you. That that's exactly right. I mean, going back to our, uh, Carvana example, uh, when my wife and I went to buy a car, we went, uh, we went to CarMax, um, which was actually a very good experience. Mm-hmm. We, we, her, her car was, was dying. We were about to leave for a two-week honeymoon vacation three days later. So we're like, okay, we need to buy a car today. Right. And we didn't know exactly what we wanted, but the salesperson was great because he actually helped us not only test drive a bunch of cars, but mm-hmm. he did a great job going, okay, looked at my wife. What do you want from this car? Looked at me. Right. What do it you was, want from this yeah. car? Mm-hmm. And then and then helped us make a decision about what was the best way forward. So he really helped us on our process. Even though, again, we had a bunch of information available, he, he was a sales Sherpa. He helped guide us mm-hmm. through the process, and we love our car, you know? Right. Well, and we had that same experience, and I've talked about it a couple of times you know, in, in recent programs because my husband needed a new car. You know, he was driving home, his air conditioner quit. You, that doesn't work in Atlanta. Um, <laughs> and now his car was 17 years old. Oh, boy. Yes. I love yes. it. 17 years old. So, you know, okay, time for a new car. He earned it. He deserved it. Yada, yada, yada. He is one of those researchers. Mm. I mean, this was, and aside from maybe driving it every once in a while and getting to be a passenger, it, you know, that, that was it for my part in this, you know, and, and, um, you know, and, and it's his car. He's going to drive it every single day. He needed to get something that he wanted, that he liked, you know, that, that he'd drive as he kept telling people for another 17 years. And so he researched it and researched it and researched it and researched it. And he had charts, he had graphs, you know, he had all this stuff, which when he showed him to one of the sales guys, the guy just busted out laughing. <laughs> but, you know, we, so then we, you know, he narrowed it down to, a specific size-ish of small SUV. And so we went to eight, yes, count them, eight dealerships in one day. <laughs> and you know, and, and he went in and he said, here's what we're looking for. Here's the criteria. And one of the criteria was it had to be a certain width in the back to fit two dog crates. Okay. And, and that it was not negotiable. If it was not big enough, then that was done. And, you know, so he had all this information and they really were fairly similar cars. I mean, you know, they varied probably $5,000 or so from, from top to bottom, but all of this stuff. So, you know, the, the, the car itself was not exactly the, the issue more than anything. It came down to the salespeople, you know, how Mm -hmm. were we treated? You know, did they treat us? You know, I I did get the little lady. Mm -hmm. Somebody said, well, you know, so is this going to be your car too, honey? (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh the the female salesperson who was so in your face and and only would talk to me and i kept saying no 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 his car his car (laughs) and it was like no even if he had liked that car he wasn't going to buy from her right you know and, and 
you know, all these various things. But it was interesting to kind of sit back and watch the process because in the end, it was the, the one who did the best guidance in that process. Mm-hmm. You know, the how can, how can we get you through this? What information do you still need? You know, all these various things as opposed to this is the latest and greatest and you have to buy it. Um, you know, and, and it, it, you know, it was, it, he narrowed it down to four and then to two and then, you know, that was that. But this was not a fast process. This took weeks. And, you know, for car people, that's going to drive them nuts. Um, but it was part of that whole matrix. You know, we had this whole big process to go through and and we were going to do it or not buy the car. Right. And what was it, what's interesting to me is that in all of that, it was how the salesperson treated you mm-hmm. that had such a a large influence on the process. And I would, and, and I don't know, obviously I wasn't there. My guess is that the way that the salespeople interacted with you had a more, had more of an impact than even your husband would think. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, he might go, well, I've got all of this research and all this data, but it's really about that human interaction. And it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting because to me, you know, and I've been working with people about, you know, using social media and LinkedIn, all these tools for almost a decade now, it still always comes back to our ability to engage with another human being face to face. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I'm talking, things I'm talking about a lot these days is that if you want to be successful as a sales rep moving forward or as a business owner who's selling or an entrepreneur or just anybody who's trying to influence other people, Yes, you have to like understand the technology and you got to have some hard skills. But, it, you know, if, if I had a, 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 an 18-year-old or a, somebody who's just entering the, the workforce and they're like, I want to go into sales, I'd say, learn how to interact with people, work on your communication skills, work on anything that somebody says is a quote-unquote soft skill, that's what you need to get good at because that is, that is what A, will bring you success and B, will differentiate you from your mm-hmm. peers the person who's great at working with others, it's super cliched, but it's absolutely true. That person will never want for a job. Right. You know, and, and you're so correct about those communication skills. And some of them really are the, you know, what we consider the soft skills, you know, the, the, the body language and how to read body language. You know, are you in somebody's personal space or, you know, it, did they, did you break their hand when you shook it? Or, you know, did, did you do the limp noodle? You yep. know, all these various things and, and really reading them, you know, are they, are they gazing off? You know, have they got up and have they literally got up and wandered off? Um, you know, all these various <laughs> things. And, and it was funny because, you know, as, as part of the car buying process, I mean, you know, we let them know this is his car. This is my husband's car. I'm just kind of along for the ride. And at some point I'll write the check. Um, but you know, so I had to be there, but, um, you know, I'd get up and wander off and they knew that was okay because they were still dealing with my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got up, I went and I looked at other cars and, and all sorts of stuff, but it, yeah, that was more, I was bored than anything. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, those who, who recognized that and then kept engaging with my husband were the ones that, that knew what they were doing. Yeah. I got very lucky because my, my sales career started out, uh, I think we've talked about the selling Cutco knives right. um, as, a, as a college student. And you're, I loved it because uh, I used to call it the street ball of sales, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was, you're sitting across the table from Mr. and Mrs. Jones and you're, yeah, you're selling a, a really high quality product and it's something that everybody needs. But more than anything, my ability to, as you said, read 
an interaction, see what mm-hmm. they were valuing, just read facial expressions, you know, right. you know, who is the, the person who's really into this? Who doesn't care? Is it, yeah, I, I, I remember once I had a huge sale because, uh, I just put the knives down after I showed them each one in mm-hmm. or, like in a very, like or, a very orderly. Cause everything in the house was very ah. particular and, uh-huh. and it's just the wife was like, you could tell she was a neat freak. And mm-hmm. so she could imagine it. Everything looked good. She's like, yeah, I'll buy it. That's the reason. I don't think she even cooked a lot. Right, right. right. But she could see that yep. how they were, you know, she could see that they would fit in. It it, it spoke to what she wanted. Mm-hmm. And and I think that for all the amazing things that computers can do, the, the one thing that they can't do yet, and I don't think they'll be able to do for quite a while, is be as good as the human computer, the human brain, at interpreting and engaging with another human brain. Right. And so, and that's not to to sound like all kind of esoteric. It's just humans are good at really figuring out what other human beings are thinking and needing and feeling. Mm -hmm. And really to be successful in sales moving forward is to, to hone that skill to help, help people get through whatever their, their buying journey is and as we were, have been talking about, being a sales Sherpa going, hey, I'm going to get you there, not only because I know about whatever industry or field I'm selling in, but because I get humans and I can engage with you and have a relationship with you and understand like, hey, maybe you've done a bunch of research, but you're still afraid of making the decision. So how do I help you pass that fear? Or, hey, you know what? I, I'm understanding the dynamics and the politics involved with uh, this buying decision because, uh, you know, I'm selling into a small company and there's three different people involved. So I'm going to manage that interaction and that variability. That's, that's really where we need to start putting our focus to be successful now, but again, to be successful down the line. Right. Now, one of the things you talk about in your book, and we've you know, kind of been talking about this, but not specifically is what you call asking for the next step. You know, part of that is that it's not linear anymore and all yep. those various things. But tell us what that means. What does it mean when we're saying ask for the next step? So asking for the next step is it's a mental framework where instead of going through a linear process where we know that it just goes step one, step two, step three, et cetera, we know that we have to keep moving the process forward, right? Because we are salespeople. We're not unpaid consultants. Mm-hmm. So we have to move things forward. But how do you do that? And for for me – what I see is it's about asking the right questions mm-hmm. and sometimes even just asking questions to move things forward. And right. it might be asking for the sale, right? Mm-hmm. But it could as much be asking for uh, permission to share some information, right? That mm-hmm. uh, or an, an opinion, or it might be asking to bring in a uh, another decision maker or somebody else who's input is going to be important. Or it might be early on just asking, hey, can we connect on LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea of always asking to move forward is, is I think how you move through, um, the sales matrix, right. That we've mm-hmm. been talking about. Right. And, and I think the biggest shift in this idea of asking the, you know, for the next step is that it isn't always a preordained step, right? It's right. not always set. Uh, the, mm-hmm. an example I use in the book is improv comedy and, you know, improv if you've ever seen an improv sketch or anything like that, I mean, there literally is no script, right? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that people are just up there willy nilly. There's still right. an end goal. They're still trying to get somewhere, mm-hmm. but they're flexible about how they're going to get there. And mm-hmm. I think that's what 
we need to be doing as we're trying to influence people. We have to know where we want to go, but we have to be flexible about how we're going to get there. And the way we, we incorporate that is by having this idea of the next question, by thinking, mm-hmm. okay, where, where are we now? What, what do I need to ask for to help move my prospect forward? Mm-hmm. And you know, being open to, to whatever that journey is going to be. Well, it's funny. I have another car example. Uh, you know, I'm, we've only bought three cars and since we've been married, and that's been a long time. So my first date with my husband, my first date, he was going to go pick up a new car. He'd negotiated everything. You know, we were just literally supposed to go and pick it up. Well, of course, it didn't work that way. Long story short, four hours later, we're still sitting in the car dealership. And they, they were just perplexed by who I was and what I was doing there. But <laughs> so are you, I'm sure. You're yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'm like, really? This is not going to be a good second date. And, you know? and But I remember, and I mean, now this would have been 25 years ago. The, the, the salesperson looked at me, and now it's 8 o'clock at night probably by this point. And he says, what can we do to get your vote for this car? And I looked at him and I said, feed me and danged if he didn't go order a pizza you know and 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 i'm like okay you got my vote um of course i had no say you know they had no clue that it was our first date but he did you know he asked that next question you know what can i do what do you need and when i told him he made it happen now sometimes that's not going to happen i mean you know because i could who knows what i could have said but um yeah you know we have to be open to that and and recognize that when we ask those questions, it might be something that we don't want to hear, like go away. <laughs> right. So how do we deal with the nose? You know, what's interesting is in my career as a, as a sales person and a sales coach and trainer and speaker all these years, so rarely do people say no. Mm-hmm. Right. And here's what I've always told people. Like if somebody says no, you say, thank you for your time. Have a nice day. Right. Because if you continue to to push, that's when you become, you know, a stalker. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but usually it's a it, it's not that clear cut. It's, you know, hey, this isn't the right time or right. budget's Most an issue. It's not now. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so I think to your point, it's asking questions, being open to what they're the answers you're getting responding, right? I always hate personally when a salesperson asks me a question and then no, I say whatever. And I realized that no matter what I had said, they were going to say the exact same thing afterwards, Mm -hmm. right? They weren't really listening, but you know, even if that salesperson said, Oh man, you know, there, there's no food around here at all, but Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll try to move the process along so we can get Mm -hmm. you guys out of here. At least you've been heard. We acknowledged it. Yeah. So I, I think that there still is going to be uh, a very large place for, you know, quote unquote, handling objections or mm-hmm. however you want to call it. But it's not about being pushy or being aggressive. It's just sometimes being open to the fact that you're going to hear things you don't want to hear. You're mm-hmm. a salesperson who's trying to get their quota for the month and you've got that person who's like, you know what? Um, yeah, this is great, but we're going to do this, you know, next month. And instead of going, oh, I, I need you to do it now. We got to do it now. Just go, okay, I'm going to right. listen to you, acknowledge that. And I got to go mm-hmm. find a sale somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you can say, you know, can I follow up with you in a month or, you know, something like that. And, and again, you know, you're, you're just trying to take that next step. What do they need from you next? That that's right on the money. And 
you know, we we aren't we talked about this before transactional as much as we are relational. And, you know, if I, I, I always laugh that, uh, you know, going back to first dates, you know, my wife, you know, I met her, I met her salsa dancing, uh, in between meeting and, uh, our first date was over a month and mm-hmm. about 90, uh, text messages. <laughs> and we just couldn't, get something to work in our schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, she wasn't blowing me off, but I, I just kept asking, Hey, about, how about mm-hmm. this weekend? Oh, I'm out of town camping. Hey, no problem. Right. And we just mm-hmm. kept working. And then eventually she went out with me. Right. right? And that's, that, that's still my, uh, my best sales job ever. <laughs> um, but that, yeah, you just, you have to think long-term versus just what can I get right now? Um, and that's, that's a big shift for a lot of salespeople, but it's mm-hmm. one that's really important. Well, and of course, right now comes across as desperate. Yeah. You know, if, if I know that somebody needs that sale right now, then I just took the, the, the I just got the upper hand in negotiating, um, you know, whether it's price or you know, services or whatever it is, if they have to have my business, then, you know, I, I really am going to be able to, to have an advantage. Exactly. No, we can smell the stink of desperation on someone. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that to balance this, obviously, we all have, you know, needs that we're trying to to meet as professionals, right? If we're in sales or business ownership, like, yeah, we it's great to have this long term view, but we still have to get business today. Um, so I, I always say it's about balancing activities. It's about mm-hmm. doing all the work to make sure that you're you're getting opportunities today, but it's also about planting seeds and cultivating them so that you can be more successful um, you know, down the line. It's why I found anybody who's been in a, a business uh, in a specific industry for a decade or two has so much more success because they can leverage all the relationships they've built. Uh, mm-hmm. But you have to you you have to make sure you're planting those seeds today to get the payback tomorrow. Right, and we don't have time to talk about it. But in your <laughs> book, you call that hunting versus versus farmer. Yeah. So see, we just need people to buy the book so they know what the heck we just are talking about. Exactly. Exactly. Well, speaking of the book, it's called Hyper Connected Selling: Winning More Business by Leveraging Digital Influence and Creating Human Connection. So defish. Tell us how people find you and connect with you online. You know, I'm all over the place. Uh, Twitter, uh, Dfish Rockstar. I am on LinkedIn. Uh, just search David J.P. Fisher. Uh, there's no C in my name. Uh, or my online home base is my website, davidjpfisher.com. And uh, there is this website called Amazon, where if you go there and search for my books, you'll be able to find them, buy them, and download them get the print version or the audiobook version. Perfect. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, as always, we still have tons that we could be talking about. So I'm sure that you will be a three-peat guest and we'll have you on again. Oh, I'd love it. Perfect. Well, I've been having a fabulous time talking with D. Fish or David J.P. <laughs> Fisher. I am Deb Creer. And to everyone out there, have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.